You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity and infinite combinations. We have a lovely show planned for you today. With us today are Andy. Hello. And our special guest, Blue. Hi there. And before we get into further introductions, just a little bit of housekeeping. Before we get into our main topic... Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to join us there and check out some of our amazing exclusive rewards, content, polls, visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. And a huge thanks to all of you who already support us on Patreon. You are the warp in our core, the wind beneath our wings. You make all of this happen, and we couldn't do it without you. Also, um, for those of you who haven't checked out our Tee Public store, check it out. We've got new designs based on our banner art, plus our logos, and all kinds of non-podcast-specific Trek artwork. We're constantly looking for new stuff and adding it in. Check us out at tpublic.com forward slash stores slash women at warp. Now, today I've mentioned our special guest, Blue. Blue, would you like to give us a few words about yourself and your um, relationship with Star Trek? Yeah, sure. My name is Blue Delquani. I am a comic artist by trade. I worked on a comic from 2012 to 2020 called Oh Human Star. My next book is coming out next spring from Random House Graphic called Across a Field of Starlight. I've been describing it as post-scarcity societies for teenagers. Basically, Star Trek was something that I did not grow up with, but I really got attached to in adulthood. I think especially during quarantine, I doubled down on getting into Deep Space Nine especially. I think that's like my primo Trek. Excellent choice. (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting coming to it without that nostalgia factor, but I've been like, genuinely pleased with how well it holds up and I like coming back to it again and again so yeah that's my that's my personal trek but I love a good data episode data is my jam so I'm I was really excited for this episode also speaking of this episode Andy do we want to give a quick synopsis of the episode for those who may not remember it fully sure so today we're going to be talking about the offspring which is a very interesting and cool episode, in my opinion. And it's it's hard to forget, but in case you just need some reminding, this is the one where Data goes to a conference and comes back and is like, you know what, I can build a child, let's do that. And he does, and, you know, there are shenanigans, and it's heartfelt. As there are, yes. Yeah, I mean, the Enterprise is just chock full of shenanigans at all times. I think we can all agree of this. You know, it kind of brings up a lot of the personhood issues that we saw before in The Measure of a Man. And throughout the episode, we get to know Lal, Data's child, and, you know, her learning about herself and the world. And then sadly, at the end of the episode, she is unable to survive. And so, you know, if you if you want to end your day crying, I mean, this is a good one to to throw on. Because sometimes they just, the writers say, you know what? Data's not allowed to have nice things. And neither are you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> neither, are, neither are us as fans of Data allowed to leave happy. 
It just isn't allowed. <laughs> little information about the show before we get into it. It originally aired on March 12th of 1990. It was written by Rene Echeverria, and it was his scripting debut, and was directed by Jonathan Frakes as his directorial debut. So there's a lot of firsts in this episode. Dang, Frakes, Frakes did a good job considering it's his first episode. I know. I feel like I can tell a lot of his, like, directorial tells, like, watching this again recently. I was like, oh, man loves his crane shot. <laughs> Does make you wonder what Gates McFadden's directing tells would have been if she'd gotten to direct more than one, though, doesn't it? I really was thinking about Gates when you said this, because I was like, are you kidding me? They gave Frakes this episode, and then they gave Gates freaking Troy Frog as her first episode. Oh, no, that was her one? Yeah, that was her one episode she got to direct. And she was the one crew uh, cast member that actually had previous directing experience before coming on the show. So I know. So you can see there was really, really different priorities given to our lady actress wants to direct and our dude actor wants to direct. <laughs> Funny how that works. So our guest star is Hallie Todd playing Lol. And I always love to point out the fact that a lot of the people I know who have kind of a she kind of looks familiar thing go thing will then kind of have their minds blown when I say, oh yeah, that was the mom on Lizzie McGuire. Somewhere out there, Lol exists with a precocious preteen daughter. <laughs> we see this episode featured on so many best of lists for Star Trek discussion, which it which is really fair because it's a pretty incredible episode. It is such fan favorite for anyone who's a big data fan and for anyone who loves talking about the ethics and personhood of robotics, which surprisingly comes up a bunch in Star Trek. I mean, you'd think that would have been a one-off, wouldn't you? But no, they just keep coming back to it. <laughs> and we talked about this one a little bit when we talked about transness in Trek. So if folks are interested, they can check out that episode. It's episode 125. Because like we said, it's a good episode and we reference it a bunch. But one thing that I found while doing my research into this is I found the spec script page written by Renee Echeverria. The spec script was very different from uh, the episode that we actually get. And I wanted to just read a little bit from that to you guys now so that our listeners get the full width and breadth of the editing process here. <laughs> so that if you ever feel bad about a first draft, you can know that, yes, things can change for the better. And sometimes you are better off killing your darlings, but not your lols, because that was just sad. <laughs> so the original page reads, Data gets himself a quote-unquote daughter who quote-unquote dies foiling a computer virus that has taken over Enterprise. Great start. I know, so promising. All the quote-unquotes there. Enterprise has just completed a computer refit at Starbase 201. Data has been at work on a private project down in Lab 3. He proudly presents lol. Blank-faced, hairless, androgynous android. His creation after interfacing with the computer mainframe. So we've already got some new concept there that I'm not sure I'm totally comfortable with. Yeah, I was like, wait a second. Are you saying Data banged the computer and had lol? Like, is that what the inference is there? Am I... Interface is doing a lot of work in that <laughs> Yeah. Interface is such a loaded term when it comes to people talking about robots. It really is. <laughs> But yeah, already we've got like a multi-parent thing, which uh, I feel like 
Do you guys feel like that would add or detract from this story if they had kept that in? Because I felt like there was a real power in seeing Data kind of as a single parent with this situation. I'm I'm not opposed to it, but I feel like it would complicate it in a way that there's just not enough room for. I like when they do do things with the computer of the Enterprise, like, you know, with the voice and everything. Like, I like when it becomes or she becomes like a bit of an adversary or something you have to work around. But like, there just wouldn't have been room. Like, I don't think it could have worked in the way I would want to see it. Yeah, it just really brings up a lot of issues about the sentience of the Enterprise computer that probably we did not have time for. Yeah, and then we probably would have made the jump to being like, hang on, are we going to tie this into the sentience of the characters on the holodeck and turn it into a whole, oh no, the danger room is alive situation? Because that never goes well. The sentience of various beings on Enterprise has always been a little bit murky i feel like we've got enough on our plate (laughs) theme wise (laughs) okay so progressing in this initial write-up the kids in school are frightened of lol who needs many lessons in socialization and who asks quote-unquote father data a lot of difficult questions lol decides to be female goes the full route in the ship's beauty parlor and gets lessons in flirtation from 10 forward waitress val data and computer and enterprise computer are furious when they, as parents, learn of Lal's decision to be a waitress in 10 Forward. They deem this an inappropriate position for someone possessing the sum total of human knowledge. So so there's a lot happening here. Yeah. Um, first off, first of all, I do like when we get to see the Enterprise's barbershop with that bully and barber guy. I cannot imagine this scene happening without like a, like girls just want to have fun. Yes. Like, sound there's very the much a... Traditional feminine roles montage. Yeah. She needs to like come out with different hairstyles and everyone in the bridge crew is like shaking their head like, Mm-mm. and then she comes out with another one. They're like, uh-huh. <laughs> they all hold up their scorecards. <laughs> also, and- they're definitely like leaning into the like enterprise computer being the second parent here in a way yeah. that's also very strange. Yeah. I also feel like it doesn't really need to be said, but we should probably say it that having your lady character being introduced with an extended montage of her learning how to be pretty and then also learning how to flirt with i assume dudes is um a wee bit regressive a little bit super regressive which is really great in comparison to what we end up getting which we will touch on further along and also the idea of them shaming her for being a waitress that's that's just weirdly classist and messed up. Yeah, I like the way it's subverted in the episode that we do get. Yeah. And yeah, they they just don't take it very far in this initial pitch. Like, it's very curious that that is what got passed to the final version, but the implication of it is completely different now. Yeah. Plus, I just can't imagine Data being a no daughter of mine will be a waitress kind of guy. <laughs> he just seems too chill for that and way too enlightened. So, going forward. Meanwhile, Jordy has found a small, untitled file in the ship's computer. He's unable to open it. A seemingly minor mystery. Lol gets very good at simulating human behavior and even, and this is underlined, stimulating human behavior. Ooh la la. Riker, thinking she's human, falls for her. Data complains to Picard about the impropriety of the relationship, age differences, etc. Yeah, that's the only problem. (laughs) And then takes umbrage when Riker agrees. 
Okay. So can we all just take a minute and appreciate <laughs> the concept of of Data going, you can't date my daughter, and then immediately having a, what, my daughter's not good enough for you? <laughs> I love that, right? Like, the, the only problem they see with this is apparently age differences. With, I feel like the age difference is, like, the least of your problems. Yeah, I mean, how old is Data? Like, I, maybe this is, like, me showing I'm too casual of a fan, but how old is Data? Is he, like... He can't be, like, 30-something whatever years old. How old is he? They'd, like, say he made it through the Starfleet Academy in, like, record time, so... I'm, yeah, is I, he, like, seven? Like, what's happening there? If he is, I feel like... I feel like Wesley Crusher needs to, like, lean back a little bit on the child prodigy thing, because then Data's totally got his ass beat. Memory Alpha said he was born February 2nd, 2338. I don't remember when... TNG takes place. I don't know, but I feel like someone out there listening is going to put together his star chart based off of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember what astrological sign early February is. It says at the beginning of TNG says he was 28. Oh, okay. So they, they very comfortably sidestepped that quandary. <laughs> it's different when it's a male character. I do feel like he's probably an Aquarius. <laughs> he's aloof and intellectual. Classic Aquarius traits. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going to do star signs for the rest of the characters at some point now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I didn't realize this, but of course they would have birthdays. And um, he is an Aquarius, yes. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, doesn't not make sense. <laughs> Going forward, though, now a Ferengi vessel, Daemon commanding, hovers into hailing range and activates the mysterious file, a computer virus somehow smuggled in during the refit. This is no time to speculate on security breaches at the Starbase. So, so they just put it in here in the write-up. Uh, don't ask too many questions about it. We got a plot to go through. The Ferengi quickly have a total control of all of Enterprise's systems. They're going to sell her. Data interfaces with the computer and locates the virus, but it's too much for him. He's disabled and quote-unquote dying when Lal shows up. Quote-unquote genetically related to the computer, she destroys the virus, but... Again, another quote-unquote dies in the doing. Riker and Data hold one another, rocking in grief. <laughs> and there you have it. The original outline for this episode. There's a lot to unpack here. There's so much to unpack here. And I was really relieved when I was able to find the David Livingston memo to Rick Berman just going basically, no, this is really, no, there are many no's here. <laughs> <laughs> and he misses some of the nuance, but he does get some of the important stuff, like why is Data so emotional when that's like the core of his character, that emotion isn't the same for him. And so, and also that there's some weird stuff going on of, okay, how come Data is suddenly an expert in this field? And also my favorite note is the sea story with Riker is really weird. I didn't get it at all. And agreed. Agreed. I'm so glad that they kept that as small as they did in the episode that we get, for one thing, because it would probably would have been really rough for Frakes to direct and star in the episode at the same time. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, he's still got his kiss. He's still got his kiss, yeah, because you gotta wonder if 
Frakes had that written into a contract or something that this many episodes per season, he needs to get macked on by um, some sort of space lady. Can I uh, please draw our attention to uh, point number eight? Which, yes, Can I please. read it? Is that okay? Oh, yes, um, please do. Story smacks of chauvinism directed at waitresses, a real put down dealing in stereotypes. I thought we were past this. That's the funniest line. I know. <laughs> when even like the producers of a mega TV show go, guys, be cool. That says something, really. <laughs> and yeah, it is pretty messed up that the idea of learning to be elite, learning to be female includes learning to be f- cute and flirtatious. And I don't even know where to begin unpacking that and just the idea of that being integral to femininity as a concept is so weird. Mm-hmm. I do like what we did get in the actual episode where... I mean, there were some things, but for the most part, I like that Troy basically says, like, the big difference is it will affect how people relate to you. Yeah. Which I thought that was super interesting because when we think of gender being, like, a social construct, like, people don't seem to realize that that's not saying it's not real. Like, people are still going to react to it and treat you differently based upon it. So it is definitely still a real thing. It's just something that we have all collectively decided is a thing. Or that the people in charge have decided is a thing. Either way. <laughs> I, I also like how, like, Troy, part of what she points out is when Lala's going through her gender choices, she points out, like, well, how many Andorian friends are you going to have on this ship? You know, yeah. like... Like, that being a factor of your choice gender, which is, like, very interesting. It's an interesting observation. Troy makes for such a great aunt to lol in this whole thing, just being super supportive and chill about everything and sitting through over a thousand different, you know, pre-planned concepts for gender and appearance that they just kind of go through, I guess. (laughs) I Can we talk about that scene a little bit, too? Because I just, the jealousy I felt... It just being able to be like, I, I I don't know, like, it's the same jealousy I felt when I first watched Clueless and Cher has that amazing, like, outfit generator thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, but it's your, but it's for your body. Yeah, but you, like, you actually get to, like, choose not only your gender, but what you look like. Like, really? Like, it's a character creator. That's what it is. It's a character creator, but for yourself. Like, I want to go to there. yeah and like you're you're like helpful like female mentor figure behind you it's just like oh yeah a friend for worth you can be a klingon if you want like that's great she's so unjudgmental about the whole thing and that's what i really love about it but also how cool is it of data to just be like no this is 100 percent your decision and i want you to be able to fully make this informed decision Mm -hmm. very cool it's just amazing. I would say that no one should read Worf's Parenting 101 book. Yeah. But a lot of people could do with listen- reading Data's Parenting 101 book cover to cover. Yeah, we we might be, re- we, should, we should probably be grateful there isn't a lot of Worf in this episode, because I feel like some of the very special issue episodes that have Worf in them get kind of weird. They always use him as the mouthpiece of like shittiness which i don't think is fair to Worf at all like in the outcast he's the one who's like actually women are weak and it's like okay it's kind of like since when Worf? (laughs) have you met like any other klingon female they've had on this show like they're really not Worf 
What would Kalar think if she heard that? And how hard would she beat your ass right now? Seriously. I I would be very interested to see what that alternative episode would be like if Lol decided to be a Klingon male and decided to pal around with Worf. Like, I'm very curious what that would Oh my god, it would have been, like, Worf trying to not raise, like, a full sentient human being, but just a weird caricature of what he thinks Klingon masculinity is. Amazing. That would be, like, a whole other level of a Frankenstein plot right there, because we've established that Worf is a born-again Klingon. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could be remade in one million different ways where yeah. Lal chooses who she is or who they are over and over and over again and each time choosing something different and it impacting the episode and like how people relate to her. And, you know, I feel like that would be freaking cool. I would love to see that. That should have been our makeover montage, just Lol trying out different genders and appearances over the course of episodes and people being like, way to go, or not cool. (laughs) Also, how goofy is that Andorian costume? Yeah, it was really weird looking. I feel like in 55 years of Star Trek, that is the goofiest looking Andorian we've ever gotten, and that includes the original series, where they had the little pipe cleaner antennas. I don't remember many Andorians in TNG. Like, I feel like no. they didn't really pop up much until Enterprise, when we had my 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 man Jeffrey Combs. Hell yeah. My boy Shran. <laughs> Actually, the, now that we're talking about the Andorian, that's something that I thought about while I was watching this. I was like, okay... It kind of made me think about, one, how human-centric everything is, which, you know, makes sense. Like, I understand why it happens that way. But, like, Data's always trying to be human, specifically. And I don't know, is that just because his creator was human? Did he just think humans are the best? Like, I, I, that's kind of confusing to me. Like, I don't know the answer to that. And then, secondly, like, if Lal chooses to be an Andorian or a Klingon, do we think that that she'd really be an Andorian in her Klingon. Ooh, or is it, like, appropriative? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I had never thought about it that way, but I was really like, why is her appropriating a human body feel correct? Whereas the idea of her as a Klingon seems kind of sketchy. And I, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to unpack that, but I had never thought about that before, and it was something I was thinking about. I was like, but you're not really a Klingon. Like, there's no Klingon culture. Like, it's it's not like she would have grown up Klingon. So it really just would be, like, her in a Klingon body. But that's equally as true as her her being human. So Right. And also, like, if she did end up going the Klingon route, like, she would be, she would end up with Worf, who also has, like, limited formative experience with fellow Klingons. So that's, like, also kind of a, like, interesting... I don't know, I guess I never really thought about that before. Here's what's really going to bake your rigatoni. What would have happened if they'd decided on Andorian and then had to go the route of trying to suss out and figure out Andorian genders because they work differently than human genders? (laughs) Oh, yeah, they got like four or something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Yeah, this is all very... I am very curious what drew her to like the Andorian one and only that one. Maybe she just liked the color blue. Maybe. I mean, yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> Probably they just wanted to be like, isn't the holodeck neat? <laughs>
Yeah, I would be very curious to find out her her thought process for choosing the two main human genders and then two random ones from, like, two other completely different species. Yeah, you'd think if it was a character creator, she would have hit the randomize button a few times. (laughs) You know, one thing that's also funny about that scene is Troy being, like, about the human dude, like, yeah, very attractive. And I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, I mean, I don't think she was, she wasn't, like, shady about it, but she just was like, yeah, he's very attractive. And I was like, okay. She's just she's just going for any compliments. Wasn't the thing she said when uh, Lol picked the human female, she was just like, I like her. Yeah. yeah. She seems fun. <laughs> Those are some great bangs. <laughs> Again, just positive, great aunt who you would absolutely want to be the one to take you like shopping for bras in middle school or something. Cisgender aunt. Yeah. <laughs> she would have probably let her play dress up in her closet too. Aww. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Text Expander. Work smarter, not harder with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. With just a few keystrokes, Text Expander keeps you consistent, accurate, and working efficiently. Do you like communication but hate typing words? Then Text Expander <laughs> is the app for you. I kind of hate communication too. Well, then this is a good app for you too because you can use it to make your communication so much more efficient. With just a few keystrokes, you can input full phrases and paragraphs of text. And then hopefully ignore people when they try and respond. Well, the good news is if they do respond, you could have boilerplate text to respond to them with. Ah, an introvert's dream. It really is. <laughs> text Expander has time-saving power. Use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Speed through emails, expand forms with fill-in-the-blank fields using a quick abbreviation, and expand content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes. Get your message right every time. And show listeners get 20% off their first year. So go ahead and visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. I feel like as far as data episodes are concerned, he's quite expressive in this one. Oh, totally. He he has a lot of like very, Brent Spiner makes a lot of very interesting face journeys in this episode. This is a good episode to kind of really hit on something that has always annoyed me is that Data clearly feels feelings. Data clearly feels feelings. And the fact that he like, he says repeatedly, I can't feel feelings and then like demonstrably feels feelings has always... (laughs) kind of made me laugh. I think it's less that he doesn't feel feelings and more that the way he experiences them and reacts to them is different than your general neurotypical human that we see on TNG. So in that way, he becomes super interesting. And I mean, Grace and I talked about this a lot when we talked about our autism and Trek episode. But this is just a really good example of he shows emotion in this episode. And and not only that, but like other characters see him and remark on him showing emotion. Like he says to Troy, like, oh, I can give Lal attention, but I can't give her love. And Troy's like, BS. <laughs> like he leaves and she's like immediately like, no. Yeah. Not buying that. Not buying what you're selling there, Mr. Android Man. 
Mr. Android Man, a lesser known Bob Dylan song right there. <laughs> yeah, he shows some very, very complicated facial expressions that really struck me. And I was trying to rem- remember the exact scene when this happened. I think like he was showing Lol how to like eat at a table or something. And yeah. she like remembers all the steps. It does this very complicated face where he's just kind of like, impressed in a subdued way he's just kind of looking off the side hmm. like she like it's just a very very deliberate like complicated expression i was like wow data really uh spent some time studying and replicating this one it'd be really interesting to watch this like back to back with encounter at farpoint to see oh like has data just learned so much more about facial expression mm-hmm. but also i'm always going to bring it back to this with data conversation talking more about being an analogy for someone who's non-neurotypical, there is definitely a level of, at least in my personal experience on the spectrum, the monkey see, monkey do thing where people, when I bring it up, will be like, oh, you, you don't act like it. And then they are always like, when I say, well, how do I not la- act like it? They go, uh, and I think part of that is the ability to mimic and the ability to do facial expression is a learned behavior, and it's something that requires a lot of work put into it. And it could be one of those things where he's, I'm probably overthinking this for this episode, but he might be like overdoing it a little bit to be like, see, lol, this is how we react to these things. I could see that for sure. Yeah, which I've known the parents of, I've seen parents of autistic children do something similar. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think part of the thing with autism is, like, there are so many unspoken, unwritten rules of behavior that nobody, like, and if you sat down a neurotypical person, asked them to explain them, like, they wouldn't be able to, but they will be able to tell you if you're breaking them. And they won't be able to articulate why. But with a a lot of autistic people, they're very much like, no, what are the rules so I can follow them, except for they're not written down. And and so it makes it makes learning those things very difficult, whereas most people who are neurotypical learn them subconsciously. And and so that 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 means that it's 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 hard to teach. Definitely is, but that's part of what makes the dynamic between data teaching law specifically based on his background and knowledge interesting. And I can't help but wonder if that could be kind of an analogy for non-neurotypical or other forms of parenting when you are raising someone who has a similar condition to you and are knowing they need special accommodation. Mm -hmm. That's a a good point. I feel like that's not something I have seen very much myself is that dynamic between like a non-neurotypical parent and child and how they would best communicate things to each other. Like, that would be pretty interesting. I do really like the dynamic between Data and Lol and how they communicate information to each other. Like, that's very, very interesting. Yeah. Especially because it's not absent of feeling at all. Like, it very much is. Oh, yeah. I also really liked Data kind of coming to terms with something that almost all parents come to terms with, which is... Your, your child is going to surprise you and do things and make decisions and ask questions you're not prepared for. And I think some parents react poorly to that. <laughs> like, they very much are expecting a mini-me that then will act <laughs> yeah. like they are in all times. And when they don't, they get, like, frustrated and confused by that. And it was cool to see. You could see Data reacting to Lal, say, asking a bunch of questions, and you could see him reacting to, like, her doing things that surprised him, 
And for the most part, I feel like they did a good job of making it seem like he was supportive of her choices and not angry that she wasn't turning out to be just, you know, a clone of himself. Like, learning who she was as a person and then reacting to that in a positive way. Yeah, like, we get that point in the end when he's talking to the Admiral and he says he created her in hopes that someday she would also want to join up with Starfleet. And on one hand, okay, yeah, that tracks. But on the other hand, thinking about in the earlier draft, them being furious about her becoming a waitress. Those two just don't fully jive to me in terms of Data was doing this as an experiment to see if he could raise an independent person and being angry at them making independent decisions, especially at such a young age, seemed really unreasonable. So yeah, that's why I so much more prefer him being like, oh yes, this will be a learning experience for you and being cool about it rather than, no daughter of mine. I don't know why I keep going into the Jimmy Stewart voice for that, but it just seems correct. (laughs) He also mentions that one of his reasoning behind deciding to make LOL was a desire to continue on past his death, which I think is a super common reason why people have kids. It's like a way for you to achieve some form of immortality. Like, you will die, but your kids will live, and then their kids, and and so on and so forth. I think that's a super common, like, thought among parents and about why they would want to have children. That that brings up a question, though, in terms of, like, what we were talking about earlier with, you know, how much can data actually feel. That kind of impulse to me, like, personally feels like that comes from a kind of existential fear, like a terror of you just ending and not being around anymore, so at least something will continue on your with your kid. Like, I, it's hard for me to think of, like, a impulse to do that kind of thing if there wasn't some kind of like feelings based do you do you know what i mean like yeah yeah it's an emotional impulse i think yeah yeah absolutely i agree one thing that that really makes me think of also is later on in the times arrow episode when they're having the conversation about oh we found dead data and him being like you know what i'm actually kind of i'm okay i'm at peace with this idea that i will end someday and you've got to wonder if the situation with Lal and the attempt to go on through progeny and that not working out, but him kind of living with it through the end, if that wasn't a thing that helped him kind of make peace with the concept. Hmm. Yeah. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. Character evolution throughout the show. <laughs> it kind of ties into what he's saying earlier, too, which I also thought was very interesting, which is that she asks him what their function is, like, what is the reason for them being alive? And his answer is that their uh, their function and the reason for being is to m- impact the world in a positive way or something like that. And I was like, how I wish more people thought of that as, like, their reason for living. But two, like, that is also, to me, an emotional impulse. Like, that's not, that's, that to me comes from a place of emotion. Yeah, just, like, compassion or some kind of, like, kindness. Yeah, I think about that as someone who likes writing about robots. Like, I think about that a lot, about, like, how logical the act of compassion 
is or can be and how much of that goes beyond it. Like, I don't know. I love, I love exploring that kind of thing. Yeah. I noticed that's kind of your jam. Oh, it is super my jam. Yes. (laughs) I go back to that well over and over and over again. Well, like think about how this has been explored in Trek numerous times, but the the one I'm thinking of right now, think about in the motion picture, the contrast to V'ger and that you have Spock taking this journey to try and purge himself of all emotion. And then when he comes to a creature that has no emotion, he's immediately like, whoa, man, that's not... I'm not feeling that. He's like, whoa, <laughs> dial it back a little there. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and you know, they have that scene where he grabs Kirk's hand and he says this, this simple feeling. And to me, that movie is all about Spock realizing that emotions are good and that they're not contrary to logic, that they enhance it. And I feel like that's that's kind of that's kind of how data is for me. Like, he's a very logical being, but a lot of his logic comes from an emotional impulse to care for other people yeah like he tries to like have compassion inform his logical choices in a way that i find very interesting mm-hmm. and that's part of what makes him getting to be a parent and by the looks of it being a really a really good one just so satisfying definitely yeah mm-hmm. I, I definitely walked away with some of those i want to believe i could do that and not be terrible at it feelings <laughs> Yeah, and then on the other side of the coin, we have a complete lack of compassion from a human person, this bad Merle that we've got in this episode, who just, like, ooh, I didn't like him. I appreciate that they took, like, all a bunch of the really negative stuff from the original outline and sort of combined it into this one character for the final script. I thought that worked really well. Yeah, the the, the cocktail waitress thing got assigned to him in a way that wasn't, like, it was nuanced at least like he kind of, you can kind of understand where his like, where his, uh, uh, his agenda is coming from. Yeah. Like I can see where he's coming from, but all of it's informed by, you know, this fear and this like not really understanding like this, like lack of trust in data. Mm -hmm. And that's where that cocktail waitress thing goes in, in a way that I find very interesting. I also wrote down, um, I was really struck by a f- term he used, especially since, like, I had a feeling we would talk about this in, like, a queer and trans kind of way. He uses the phrase irreparable damage when it comes to, like, using, like, like you know, the way, like, Lala's being brought up. And I was like, ooh, oh, that's yeah. a phrase I've heard. I've heard many a time. Yeah. <laughs> homophobia and turfetry is just like that. Oh, my God. Turfetry. I've never heard that before. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> Like if you if you learn how to be a girl wrong, like you'll never fix it. It's just like, oh, I just thought that was a very interesting choice. Yeah, or if you never had a proper male role model, then you're ruined for life. Exactly. Or even, you know, going on puberty blockers or hormones, like you will irreparably damage your body and it will never go back to the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's the point, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the the thing that I, that kind of strikes me from that cocktail waitress moment is his problem with it is not that she's a cocktail waitress, it's that he wants to use her for something else. And so like the reason that they they set her up to be to work in Tem Ford was for her, for her development to to help her understand humans and human interaction. It was the the goal was her self-actualization his goal is to use her to do things as a tool 
So to him, this is a waste of time. Like, she should be working for him and doing whatever BS math he wants her to do. I don't know. I mean, they didn't really get into what he expects from her, but it's super clear that he he wants to use her on behalf of Starfleet. And so it, it it's interesting because in the original outline, it was super classist. In this case, it's less classist and more just his priorities are different. Mm-hmm. Also, how cool is it with Picard going to bat? Like, no, Guinan is a great person to have teach this person about the nuances of interpersonal relationship. Guinan has seen everything. I trust Guinan with my life. Yeah, Picard's whole role in this is also very interesting, too, because he starts in a place where he has, I think, like, well-meaning misgivings about Mm -hmm. what Data is trying to do, but over the course of, like, Guinan getting involved and, like, being open-minded and listening to Data, he ends up, like, advocating for them in, like, a really, like, sincere way that I found very, very interesting. And I really like how Picard can have that shift from one viewpoint to another and have it be plausible, like not just in this episode, but in a lot of others. Like I thought he had a very interesting role to play in this episode. Well, and one thing, like when I was rewatching it in the first, you know, five minutes, at first I was like, Picard, come on, man. Be cool. Like you're, you're, you're not passing the vibe check here. (laughs) But then I realized, or at least I, I saw it differently once we got to the end of the episode. And I think this is a, a, a thing that you could, interpret differently like you interpreted it as him changing his mind the way i interpreted it is he saw this coming and he was worried oh that's really interesting because when i first started watching it i was really like come on man like be cooler but then like when i was thinking about it in the context of it what he was worried about happened he was like this is this is opening a door that i i i I feel like Really, he didn't feel prepared to to protect them because he thought he thought he would have to, and he was right. Ooh, what does that say about Picard? Sort of seeing himself as a protective figure of Data. Well, it makes me think of. I feel like what Andy brought up brought up made me think that this might be like a spiritual successor to um, I think Measure of a Man is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, yeah, that's like a great example of like he was essentially assigned to advocate for data and Riker was like kind of the like the the adversarial figure in that episode right like and I feel like there was a point where Riker made a very compelling case for like why data isn't a person and I think yeah I think like even though Picard kind of won the day in that episode he still kind of has that sense of mind that there's like gonna be challenges that are brought up because of that episode and the consequences of like that thing like, yeah, I, I could definitely imagine that sticking in his head, you know. Well, I I will tell you that the, the first episode of Star Trek that absolutely blew my mind wide open and made me go, okay, yeah, I'm a Star Trek fan, is The Measure of a Man. And I can nail it down to one specific scene, and it's the scene where Guinan and Picard are in 10 forward, and she blows his mind by reminding him that throughout history there's always been... A dispose- disposable people have always been a thing and will always be a thing. And this is something that Data is going to have to fight. And I'll never forget Patrick Stewart. I mean, th- throw all of the wor- awards at his feet and Who- Whoopi Goldberg, too. But I'll never forget Pat- the look on Picard's face when his whole paradigm shifts, where he's like, oh, 
And I feel like that shift stuck with him because, I mean, when they reference the measure of a man in this episode, he says, you know, it's very clear Data is a person. I know because that's the fight I had and won. Like, he he reminds the Admiral of this. And the Admiral's like, mm, yeah, and I really, I, I really feel you on that. But actually, and I was like, mm-hmm. I wasn't there for that episode. You can't have me accountable for this. <laughs> oh, that's what I thought you'd say, you freaking Admiral. <laughs> it was super clear to me that the Admiral really, like, nothing they would have said would have changed his mind. Like, he came into that very much like, I want Lal. I'm not leaving without her. Except that in the end, he does change his mind, seeing how hard Data is willing and ready to push himself for lol and her well-being yeah he came out of that like operating room just like completely changed like in a way that was plausible but yeah like he's just sort of like oh my god like you always gotta love it when a character is relating something incredible that happened that they clearly did not have the budget to put on camera (laughs) his his hands were going faster than the eye could see it looked very expensive Yeah, I guess I just, I didn't, I, I, I saw that he was, like, shaken, but I guess I didn't see the same kind of paradigm shift that I saw in Picard, I guess. Well, we respect Picard. That's part of the difference there, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think the paradigm shifts are different, but I definitely feel like he kind of was, at the end, he had that conflict between, because there's that point where, like, he's there when, like, they realize something is, like, catastrophically wrong with Lal and he offers to help, like, yeah. kind of in, like, a like a medical capacity. And I think that was very interesting. Like, I don't know. I could see him kind of, like, being nuanced in that way, but that, you know, is more than he might have been in another writer's hands, maybe. Yeah. It was interesting. He could have really easily been the, ah, oh, screw this guy, straw man character, but we got to actually see some progression there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same could be said of Bruce Maddox in The Measure of a Man. So I really do feel like this is like the follow-up to that episode. I feel like one person can't say Bruce Maddox without me going, Bruce Maddox. (laughs) Yep. I keep bringing it back to uh, uh, Guinan because I just was doing the transcription on an episode on Guinan. So I keep thinking about her and being like this, this change bringer for Picard's perspective and him being so so big on her being that and that just keeps coming to my mind and the idea of her being just a teacher in general with lol and one of my favorite just little factoids about this episode is in an interview with salon.com in 2001 research assistant richard arnold says guinan's explanation of relationships was changed at whoopi goldberg's request so according to the script guinan was supposed to start telling lol when a man and a woman are in love but and in the background there'd be a man and a woman sitting at tables holding hands but apparently Whoopi refused to say that she said the show should be beyond that it should be when two people are in love this is the future let's portray it as such so apparently they wanted uh she was pushing for the idea of having two men or two women but that didn't happen but the idea that she was pushing for that change of the verbal expression is pretty cool. That is super cool. I hadn't heard that anecdote before. Well, we got to make sure, though, that it doesn't get too queer, guys. Yeah. I mean, 
A little bit of queerness is, is okay, but... <laughs> David Livingston is going to talk down some of the casual misogyny, but, well, let's not get crazy with the gay rights in here. We can't let him have the run of the place. Like, I know enough about the background of Trek to know that, like, Rick Berman is kind of like the Emperor Palpatine of, like, behind-the-scenes <laughs> Basically, <Trek>. yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Rick Berman's like, we gave you the outcast, now shush. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I gave you a half-assed analogy. Why aren't you cool with it? God. <laughs> Sometimes I like to think about Rick Berman watching Discovery. <laughs> Maybe all of those people complaining about forced diversity in Discovery are like somehow feeling like they're making Rick Berman's spirit live on or something. Okay. Like I said, and. I talk about this so much, I wrote an article about it for Star Trek Quarterly. The idea of representing not just neurotypical characters, but how intergenerational relationships between people who are non-neurotypical or who have mental health differences can be really complicated and also can be really incredible and is this thing that's just kind of pop-culturally ignored, I think, to a degree. We get this kind of idea that non-neurotypical characters just kind of burst out of nowhere and are like some kind of huge burden on their parents and that's kind of an archetype we see more than we really should but the idea of yes you can grow up different and you can grow up to raise children who are also different and there's nothing wrong with that and I just think that's a conversation that needs to happen more and I really appreciate that we got to see it happen in Star Trek. Another thing that I really like and kind of goes along with that is that at some point, Data is like, hmm, I'm a parent now. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. What should I do? And he goes to another parent, and we actually get to see Bev being a parent and, like, being acknowledged as a parent and them having a really lovely conversation about parenting and about how hard it can be and, like, the challenges and 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 how do you deal with it when your child is different and is struggling? Like the the scene where Lal is in the the classroom and all the kids are like, <laughs> that was hard to watch. That's sad. It was so sad. Yeah, and like it's sad for a parent. It's really like when your child is suffering, you want to make them not suffer, and sometimes. You can't protect them from everything, and you can't control everything, and how do you deal with that, and then also equip your child to handle that? So, like, immediately afterwards, him having to gently tell Lal, like, no, they're not they're not laughing with you, they're laughing at you. Ooh, that was good stuff. That's gotta be such a hard conversation to have as a parent. Yeah, and it hits you right in the feels. <sighs> yeah, that's that's that was that was very, very good scene in that <laughs> in my rewatch. That was an oh my heart moment. <laughs> There's lots of oh my heart moments in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do we think about the choices they made to end with Lal's death? And like the 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 reasoning behind her death like to me and bear in mind i'm really bad at the sciencey kind of stuff this i leave this to sue and sue science corner but i, I didn't really understand like she felt too many emotions and it caused like her brain to kaploof i, I don't really understand well i've been there it's a little hand wavy like i think 
I understand like the like the landscape of like TV at the time. Like they just weren't going to have uh, characters stick around for like a few extra episodes. But in the back of my head, re- watching it again recently, I was like, if this were DS Nine, yes. they'd have to be around for at least a season. Yeah, like. I would love, like, and she could still, like, she could kind of have, like, a Zial arc where she still, like, dies at the end, spoiler alert. But, like, you know, like, she could have, like, a more of an arc that's not as rushed. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't quite make sense, or it's not quite satisfactorily explained, like, what happens to her. And then also the implication being that the thing that she wanted and that what Data wants for himself is ultimately the thing that will kill them. Which is kind of a weird story beat to end considering the rest of the thematic resonance of this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's better than infected by computer virus by Ferengis, <laughs> for one thing. In the middle of the third act, the Ferengi just show up and they're like, hey! <laughs> if you reference an unnamed Ferengi file in the first act... <laughs> Data as a character is such an interesting example of this need to maintain a specific status quo to kind of maintain parts of the show's core concept because we get to see a lot of progress from Data over time. He gets to have some wild growth, but at the same time, there's this idea of we need to maintain this stock idea of what Data is. And we see that happen in the movies, I think, pretty strongly of like, no, this is what Data is. Data has not learned the subtleties of humor and intercommunication. He's going to push someone off a boat and think it's funny. Yeah, the last shot of this episode is kind of brutal. Like, he comes out of the operating room where his child has died. He explains what happens, and all the bridge crew are like, well, rip. All right, (laughs) back to work. (laughs) And it just ends up him like, like, I get why they did it. Because it's very impactful that that's, like, the shot. Like, he just kind of resumes the status quo. But it's brutal. Yeah. It really harkens back to the classic TOS where they're like, well, okay. I <laughs> guess that's the end of that chapter. <laughs> Scotty, you got a joke for us? <laughs> Your daughter's <laughs> dead, sir. <laughs> I mean, the, the the thing that he says, too, is basically, like, he absorbed her almost, like, her, her thoughts and feelings or, well, feelings? I don't know. What are feelings? <laughs> um, but anyway, like... Her thoughts and not feelings, quote unquote? Yeah, like, did he download her? <laughs> like, I, I... This is another hand-wavy thing, which is fine, but, like, the emotion of it is that she lives on in him, which I think is actually... A very common way for people to grieve and something that does bring me comfort like the people that we love when they leave they are still with us because we still hold them in our heart kind of thing and then they tried to make that like an actual representation of that feeling like he he downloaded her or some hand wavy sciencey stuff but then like Give him the day off. (laughs) Let the dude grieve. Let him. Yeah, don't don't make him go back on shift. (laughs) (laughs) Or like at least let them have an awkward Windows ninety five (laughs) funeral. Yeah, like they gave date. They gave Jordy and Ensign Row a funeral. Like they gave them an awesome funeral. Yeah, Yeah, actually, yeah, they gave him a sick funeral. Like. (laughs) Let let Data have an awkward wake for his child. Where is Riker playing his trombone in 10 forward? Come on. 
The jazz is nowhere to be seen. They could have mashed it together with Wrath of Khan and had him playing Amazing Grace on the trombone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, anything is better than, okay, engage. And then he just has to go back to work. Well, according to one of the show writers, um, I found this in some convention, some notes from a convention from 1992. There was at one point talks of doing an episode where they were going to bring back Lol to have her her, her her or her body be stolen by lore to make it be like a whole family drama thing. And that could have been cool. That could have been cool, especially if like Lol got turned like temporarily evil or like, you know, like, turned against her dad. Like, that could have been really interesting. It could have been, like, her teenage rebellion years. Yeah. I think that is amazing that my immediate reaction was no. And Blue, (laughs) they were like, yeah, let's see that. That's fascinating. (laughs) No, for me, it's kind of like, okay, first of all, lore. I I am super over lore. (laughs) His episodes are not my favorite. And then... Also, this idea of of Lal being, like, kidnapped by him is just not into it. But at the same time, I would, you are totally correct that I would love to see an evil Lal, just because I think that would be funny. Yeah, it doesn't have to be lore, because that, that's fair. Like, lore isn't my favorite either. But, like, just some kind of, like, foil who's, like, a android or cyborg man or whatever. Just somebody, just give to give her, like, a different perspective and be like... Hey, that was kind of like messed up what they wanted to do. Maybe there's like another way, and that way involves being like evil. evil. Like, <laughs> I'm just that, imagining mirror fine. universe lol right now, oh and I'm God, totally yeah. here for it. I was actually thinking that I was like mirror universe Spock, just hands or a mustache. I want to see it be the exact same, like little girl kind of frumpy dress, but it's like all in leather or something. <laughs> yeah, all leather and vinyl. Yes, and like that kind of weird tinfoil jewelry that like Mirror Universe Kira wears. Yes, <laughs> I feel like we found some really good potential here, and we need to be taking these notes down and sending them to IDW for the expanded <laughs> comics. There you go. Yeah, that that would have been wild. There was so much potential to do more with Lol. Which is also a recurring theme on this show of, man, this one act off character. They could have done a lot more with that than they did. I will say, though, that one one reason why we do that so often is because Star Trek is pretty good at giving us three-dimensional, excellent characters that exist only within one episode. Unless they're Jeffrey Combs, and then they'll come back episode after episode. <laughs> if Lol had been played by Combs, it would have been a different story. God, I'm just trying to imagine that, where, like, that was Jeffrey Combs, and they're like, you know, we kind of <laughs> want to have him back again. <laughs> I'm also just imagining, like, in this alternative, like, Lol-verse, like, where she isn't just... Into the Lol-verse. Form. Like, what if, like, the, like, the, the, the premise for, like, the evil Lol, like, storyline is, like, they keep seeing all these different, like, what if she is a, temporarily, like, an Andorian woman or, like, a Klingon man or whatever? Like, she just goes in between them and she's like, I don't have to be a girl, like, a human girl all the time. Like, that could be a cool kind of thing. Like, sick like, as hell. Yeah, she could be like a shapeshifter. That would be radical. And then like the third act reveal is you like see out the window a giant thing floating by. And she's like, I'm a Gormagander mother lovers. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like that would be kind of a cool premise if she was like made out of like nanites or something and she could like shapeshift. Like, I don't know. That could be cool. That would have been awesome. I'm also like currently photoshopping Jeffrey Combs' head onto Lol's like haircut. <laughs> Welcome to my brain a good chunk of the time. <laughs> so I think this kind of kind of circles us back to what we were kind of talking about about the the queerness of this episode mm-hmm. and the trans aspect is that the ability to present as any gender you want and like just have it be simple and easy. And, like, even the idea of your parent asking you what your gender is instead of telling you what your gender is, I think is super powerful from a trans perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's funny that they kind of like, okay, here's your one gender. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get one. It Don't lose place. it. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But, like, I get it. Yeah. That that is kind of fun that they get let they even let her pick it all. I remember a long, long time ago when I was first starting to do podcasts and people asked me about this episode and I was like, isn't it funny how like they always choose to to make these like robot android people women usually? And um <laughs> the the people I was talking to were basically, no, she chose herself. And I was like yeah, in the episode, but, like, the writers chose that she would be a woman, and, like, that changes the dynamics a lot. I mean, I personally think Riker would have been just fine being kissed by a dude lol, but... (laughs) They probably wouldn't have let him. David Livingston would have come running in slow motion. No! (laughs) No! intercept the kiss he would have been like banging on the on the window <laughs> you know frakes would have been down for it yeah yeah frakes is cool like that yeah yeah frakes i had heard in, in um i'd heard a story from like the making of the outcast that he would have been cool if yeah oh what's their name soren would have been a male actor but it was his suggestion oh yeah that's right yeah we just can't have nice things i guess <laughs> sigh but now that we actually do have queer people on star trek we're shoving it down their throats (laughs) they'll live any final thoughts before we kind of close up shop as it were for today uh this episode rocks i really like it it holds up surprisingly well considering it's an episode that tackles gender in a meaningful way and was in the 90s or whatever and overall, I just think it, it deserves its place in the best of lists. Yeah, it holds up for real, like better than I was I was remembering even. This episode wrecks me emotionally in all of the best possible ways. <laughs> I can give it no higher praise than that. Absolutely. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Andy, where can people find you on the internet? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek where I rarely talk about Star Trek. And Blue, where can people find more from you online? If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Blue Delaquani at Twitter. If you want to read my comic about robots in relationships and having having feelings, you can read that at ohumanstar.com. It's really good. Check it out. And I'm Grace, and you can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank, or you can find me probing the secrets of the LOLverse. It's got to be out there, and I want to know more. (laughs) To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. 
You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from Roddenberry Podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Blue, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.